So another thing that I know you get to see a lot for us is those men that get their tubes tied because men do get their tubes tied too. It's not just females. We definitely have um, a good percentage of patients that we come and see whether it's female tubes tied, but men as well that have vasectomies. And so I think that's a good topic for men out there to understand, you know, if they remarry or if they just decide that they just, you know, want another kid after they've went through a vasectomy, what are the kind of recommended time frames and when is it maybe too late? So in terms of the actual, the guy who comes in and he's, and he's had a vasectomy, the first thing we do is we figure out what their goals are. Because many times these are men who had a vasectomy because they had prior paternity, right? Mm -hmm. They have children by the previous relationship. And sometimes the new relationship is just going to be a one, right? They don't, right. it's not very often that these guys come in and say, I had six kids with my first wife and now I want to have four <laughs> more with this one. You know, True. it just doesn't always run like that. So, so if it looks like these guys are interested in just having a single pregnancy, then we normally say probably the most cost-effective and reliable way to manage that is with IVF as opposed to with a vasectomy reversal. If they want to have two or three kids, then a vasectomy reversal becomes the answer to the question. But that scenario with patients who've had a vasectomy previously, that scenario is relatively uncommon. We don't see it that often. If the guys had a vasectomy within the previous five years, then mm -hmm. the ability to get, with a vasectomy reversal, the ability to get sperm in the ejaculate is pretty high, 70 or 80%, and the ability to arrive at a pregnancy is a little less than that, maybe 60, 70%. Sure. And if it's past 10 years, the numbers drop off substantially. So I tell guys in the first five years after vasectomy, those odds are pretty good. Five to 10 years becomes more of a gray area, and past 10 years, we're it. often telling these guys that that's probably not a reasonable thing. But we've had guys 10 years, 20 years, 30 years sure. after vasectomy, yeah. and we can get sperm and, you know, have pregnancies with IVF with very, very good numbers. Yep, so, so the number of years after, you know, your sperm production doesn't stop. Like girls are born with a certain number of eggs. Like they have a certain number of cards in their deck and mm -hmm. they keep dealing them off. And when the last card is dealt, then menopause starts right. basically. Yep. Where with guys, it's a factory and it's producing sperm and it continues to produce sperm in some numbers and quantities until they die, generally. Yeah. Also, when the sperm are produced with someone who's had a vasectomy, they don't go anywhere, but that doesn't create swelling or pain or anything. They just come into the spaces where they would go and they live their 120 days and then those cells are broken down. So we can go in at any time and harvest sperm that can be used for IVF for patients who've had a vasectomy. Do you get that question commonly? Where, you know, what happens to my sperm once it's I, blocked? Yeah, because I do so many vasectomies. I do 10 a week. Right. So it's a, you know, it's funny because on one end of my practice, I'm eliminating fertility and the other end of my practice, I'm. <laughs> Fixing fertility, right? People are like, "Well, you're going to stop the flow of these sperm. What happens then? Am I going to blow? A water balloon? Am I going to blow up?" <laughs> and it just isn't a pressure system. It doesn't generate any any. There's no hydrostatic pressure inside, so it doesn't dilate. It doesn't cause pain. They just don't have anywhere to go, and then the body resorbs those pieces and makes them the new sperm. And there's always a, you know, if you do a aspiration from there, there's always a some dead sperm and some even degraded sperm, and then some healthy swimming sperm. 
So good. We've talked about kind of just the history that we are going to encounter when they come to see you and important factors they should think of. And then, of course, their exam, which is specifically looking at, you know, just body morphic aspects like we talked about. And then even testicular volume, um, making sure that nothing seems off or, in fact, there's nothing extra there. One thing I'll always make sure I feel for, it seems elementary, but I always have to feel for the vas deferens, yeah. right? There's a tube on each side or there should be. And it's a really significant finding if they're missing one or both of those tubes because it's an important genetic absence and it has a lot of implications from cystic fibrosis to honestly, if I'm missing a left-sided is much, much more common, 10 to one, missing the left vas deferens and the epididymis as opposed to the right, I have to look, I usually will always order a renal ultrasound because a large percentage of those patients are missing the left kidney actually. Yeah. So I have to actually I have to actually know that and look for that because it, it there's an implication. I, I offer that to the patients. They don't have to have renal ultrasound, but most do. And the benefit is if you ever had a kidney stone or something on the right, it, you could at least tell someone, I know I'm missing my left kidney. I think it's important to know. It's true. I mean, there's a lot of stuff out there that are just like misnomers or myths. And we got to this a little bit ago when you ask about the histories, like, and then you're looking at inflammatory cells. A lot of times guys are worried like, well, could this inflammation or like subclinical infection be coming because I'm wearing really tight boxers or I'm a cyclist on a bike a lot, or there's some sort of, you know, turbidity that's causing rubbing since things hang between right. their legs as opposed to us like could that be a cause of all these round cells and things? Right, right so one thing that we talk about a lot in fertility on the male side is temperature of the testicle yep. relative to the best sperm production what we call spermatogenesis that can take place I'm looking for something called a varicocele and what a varicocele is, basically like a complex of veins. It's actually called the pampiniform plexus. And it's basically a little network of veins that lives above the testicle. And if the same process that causes varicosities in the legs and other things, if the valves are not what they're supposed to be, then blood can sort of pool there. And guys will say the classic description is, I feel like I have a little bag of worms on top of my testicle. And it looks kind of like that. But what it does is it heats the testicle. Mm -hmm. And if the testicle's not about four degrees Celsius below core body temperature, then sperm production won't be very good. And actually, a repair of a varicocele, removal of those veins or causing them to go away, is by far the most common surgical procedure that urologists do to fix infertility. It improves concentration, it improves morphology, it includes or improves motility. It has important, you know, it's an outpatient procedure which takes, uh, you know, less than an hour. A very straightforward thing to fix. Now related to that, when we're talking about temperatures that are best for sperm production, that in, goes into another topic that we actually discuss a lot with patients. Am I supposed to be wearing boxers or briefs? Is my cycling, like my bicycling habit, causing problems with fertility? At least with the underwear question, or even tight pants. It probably has much more to do with heat and temperature than it does with any chafing or compression because if the support that they wear under their pants is holding the testicle up against their body and not letting the testicle hang down, 
then it will actually warm the testicle and it probably will affect sperm production a little. It's not something that affects the majority of men because fertility is their, their fertility is an overwhelming force that overrides all that, but in men where their fertility is marginal, it can actually be a, sort of a factor. The cycling thing is a little different, and I'll just tell you that there have been some very large studies that have failed to show that cycling affects fertility, like thousands of guys where they've done longitudinal studies. And actually one I read um, showed that for guys who are cycling, two to six hours per week, which is a pretty reasonable amount, that their fertility was actually higher than the general population, maybe because those guys are just in better shape. So ladies, let your men work out, keep them in shape. What about, you mentioned um, saunas, the same thing with the temperature. How much is too much in a sauna? I mean, every day or once a week? Or I mean, is there anything good to kind of? Not really. You can be pretty certain that if the testicle is regularly heated and the person's fertility is on the margins, that we're going to advise them to cease that activity and resume it once the fertility goals have been met. So that's kind of what I tell guys. It's pretty rare for guys, especially in this climate, for guys to say, yeah, I'm, I'm in the spa all the time. Well, what about the right. guys that we see that work for Nucor Steel, for example? They're working around a smelter and they're in these fire suits and stuff, like you know, shimmering silver suits that reflect all of the radiant heat that yeah. comes off the steel. You know, it's hard to tell those guys, hey, you need to get out of your job for six months so we can have a baby, because the dad is kind of sketchy, but I just tell them as much as possible, we want to protect those areas so they don't aren't superheated all the time. I was gonna ask a really silly question, but since we're talking about heat, is there any studies out there that suggest where you live climate-wise that there might be more fertile or done? No. Darn. There's too many other factors that influence that for the temperature to be a factor. So the short answer is no. So if you're in Antarctica, you're not more fertile than someone that lives in Costa Rica. No, they figure it out. No. All right. <laughs> um, last thing probably is, you know, we talk, what about laptops? People think about their laptops on their lap for too long. No studies that really correlate nope. with that, right? Nope. What about pilots being over engines? We used to look at that in the military thinking like, are these people that are pilots, we used to track these to see if there was any correlation. From my knowledge, there's not really. I don't think I've ever read a study about that. The thing with the pilots and anybody who spends a lot of time in an airplane is you're so far above the ozone layer that you're actually getting, you're More getting radiation. so much radiation. Right. And that's a much bigger factor than any sort of heat. But I don't know, like even like our pilots at increased risk of developing any kinds of cancers. I don't think that's ever been shown, but I, I, agree. I, I yeah. honestly don't know. I yeah. agree, I, not that anything that we've seen, but things that we get asked a lot. Yeah, laptop, regular laptop use does not affect fertility. Oh, so all those gamers out there, don't, don't put your laptops away. <laughs> Sorry, ladies. <laughs> all right. No, I think that this is all very informative. I mean, for our females, of course, but also for the men, because I think that, you know, obviously it takes two to make a baby, but I do find that men sometimes are a little bit more shy to get in, involved sometimes. And so just getting that information out there and they can hear it from a male professional, someone that's got a friendly um, public service announcement so they know they can go somewhere and get checked and, yeah, yeah. and be comfortable and know what to expect. I mean, pretty interesting. And also, I mean, it's a really cool field. 
just like female reproduction males got their own stuff. I always joke with Megan and our patients in some ways, I guess not joke, but you know, when we talk about females, we only have so many eggs and you know, we weren't made efficiently. Our bodies haven't adapted to us having kids necessarily as well in the 30s and 40s. But you could argue that men aren't as efficient either because you need a hundred million sperm to get to that one egg sometimes. So yeah, that's right. depends on how you look at it. So. Yeah. But I appreciate you coming on and talking because I do think it's a really, a really important topic. It's when those guys come to see us, it's a, um, you know, they're in a difficult way. Unfortunately, a lot of my patients from all the areas of my practice, they're happy to be able to stay away if they can, right? Yeah, exactly is actually looking forward to come see me very often. But in terms of being able to put them at ease and be able to walk through the steps in a sort of methodical and goal-oriented sort of progressive way of of solving the problems and answering the questions and getting um, good solutions. It's very rewarding. I really enjoy doing it. Yeah, and our, we've heard great things back from our guys because I feel like you, we want to educate our patients too because it helps them understand the process more. And so we appreciate that you do that with them because yeah, yeah. I know that it makes it better for them all yeah, around. Yeah. It's, it's one of the fun parts of my job, honestly, is the education stuff. All right. Well, that's the end of our podcast today. We appreciate you all from listening. Remember to leave us messages, DM us, and hashtag at Adore Pink Couch Series. If you want any further questions answered, have comments, or need more information regarding Low Country Urology, we're happy to send out our referrals.